Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Check Your Six podcast. It's me, Warwalker Call, your host once again, joined by co-host Syntax GG over on that side. And today we actually have a special guest tonight. We have Tanner from ASU Esports, the captain, and he's got quite the long history in esports. So I'm looking forward to diving into his history. But welcome to the show, Tanner. Very nice to be here. Pretty excited for it. Yeah. So, I mean, th this is a great way for us to kick off the season because, well, we don't have a whole bunch of stats to go off of. One of the other leagues hasn't started. And so we've got week one of the CEA Open League, or Invite League, sorry, Open League results to go over. We'll go over some of them. There's all, there's 56 matches, so we're not going to dive into all of the matches. But we've got week one under our belt. We've got a guest to talk about his experience. We've got, and it's even outside of just Rainbow Six Siege. So this is also kind of a bit of a story to go into. And we've got a message from Tanner's opposite can uh, captain from Sue Boulder, who was their first matchup last week in CEA. So we're going to go into Tanner Stark's history of how he got into ASU as the new IGL. So, how, I mean, tell us how you got started in, in esports and what brought you to collegiate Rainbow Six. Yeah, so my road in his, uh, my esports road is pretty long. Um, hopefully, it keeps going for a while. Um, but I started um, back in Call of Duty. Um, I first started doing competitive in Call of Duty back in Call of Duty Ghost, um, and, and towards Advanced Warfare, I transitioned. Um, to Xbox and start doing competitive, going to tournaments um, like UMG Ontario um, was one of them, and I started doing that uh, semi-professionally. Um, placed top 16 at one LAN event. Uh, then shortly after that, I decided to quit the game. And I think around that time of Call of Duty, I know uh, Rainbow Six, but Call of Duty uh, around that time, people started quitting um, because jetpacks and everything like that. Uh, if you remember around that time. So I decided to uh, step back from Call of Duty, and a game that I played in beta was Rainbow Six, and I liked it, so I wanted to play on the, uh, play that. So I was playing console at that time. I was playing Xbox, PlayStation, and PC. So I was playing all three platforms. Um, I preferred console because you know I played Call of Duty on console, so it's just something I was better at. Uh, PC, I've always been not this not the same as console. Um, someone who comes from console probably has the same feeling. Um, yeah. So then I go and I quit. Then I decided I wanted to come back for Black Ops 3, but then they changed it to 18 plus. And at that time, I was not 18. Um, so I decided to do organizational stuff. I started working for organizations. Um, I worked for uh, several different organizations around that time, um, all around the Call of Duty uh, field. Because um, I wanted to, as I was a competitive player, I wanted to kind of learn how they do things so I could get paid more. You know, uh, everyone yeah. wants to get paid more in esports, so, mm -hmm. you know, you try to get an edge. Um, and I fell in love with that. Um, so I started playing Siege casually and doing that type of stuff. Uh, then fast forward a bit, uh, I, I just play Siege, uh, do org stuff um, as jobs. Then Towards the end of 2017 and early 2018, I decided to create my own organization. 
uh, I went found investors and I raised um, funds and at this time I was still underage right um, at 17 I did this I raised uh, funds and I started a notable uh, Rainbow Six Siege uh, organization called Disrupt Gaming um, and my focus for Disrupt was always going to be a content base because growing up it was always you know if people watch it uh, you have Optic Gaming and Phase Clan um, yep. and they were always I, I, I knew I recognized your name I'm sorry to interrupt but yeah. I, I, I knew I recognized your name I was like I knew that name set from somewhere but now I know yeah so I, I yeah I found a Disrupt Gaming um and I just want to make a splash. I'm like, you know, there's only one way to do it. You got to make a splash. And no one's really making a splash at that time. You know, Space Station wasn't really making a splash. No one was really making a splash in terms of content. So I went and I signed the biggest content creators that I could. You know, I went after Bolo. Um, he was one of our early ones. Yo Boy Roy was one of our first ones. Uh, you know, we just wanted to build a huge community. Um, and we signed a Challenger League team at that time with Skittles. Um, when he was competing, Ghost, uh, Solo, um, ho you know, a whole bunch of guys, right? And we actually had a chance to get a pro league team, which is now Space Station's team uh, with Bosco and all them. We had a chance when they uh, were available and decided not to because we always decided that it would be best if we just stuck with one team um, and fall through because, you know, around that time as well, in esports there's a lot of organizations like era that were not paying their players and right. they just kept jumping and things like that and i've always wanted to build a foundation a pillar of you know trustworthiness and paying people and you know like they said um so we just stuck with our team and you know and people have always said with disrupt you know why aren't you guys in pro league sooner you know why aren't you doing this and we've had you know plethora of opportunities but we wanted to earn it as well as stick with our people um, we've always wanted to believe in that. Um, so I have to appreciate forward, that. I have to appreciate yeah. that that approach a lot because I mean, yeah. you have a lot of the esports teams nowadays. Even still, they are constantly raising funds just to keep going, to be able to get that next team, get that next sign, keep going, yeah. keep going, keep going, and it's just an endless, thankless treadmill there. While you have teams like cloud nine who have a huge outsource department of labor and everything but they keep it all really tight like they don't outspend yeah. their means and they don't have to go through and do a whole bunch of fundraising and everything so i i have exactly. to I, I respect your approach a lot with disrupt gaming not wanting to sign yeah. team after team after team and just be like yeah we're gonna sell ourselves out left right and center yeah. just to be able to support it mm -hmm. And you have to know when to expand to. And, exactly. you know, a lot of things, too, is people don't realize Disrupt. People think Disrupt was only ever in Siege. Uh, we've had a top Call of Duty team with ex-pros. Um, we've also had a pro Gears of War roster. You know, we, we've been in other titles. Uh, but one game that I've always wanted to stick in was Rainbow Six Siege because it's a game that I fell in love with, you know, in beta when I first started playing it. Um, so then, you know, around... So everyone i think where everyone really started in the comp scene really started learning about disrupt was dreamhack whenever we beat evil geniuses um mm. and at that time evil geniuses was the best team in na and we beat them at dreamhack we felt to them later on but you know it was a pretty big accomplishment yeah. um so we we, yeah. we did a throw together team um of our underage team with yaga who is now in challenger league um dot dash who is a mexican pro league uh we had skittles um we had 
uh, Ghost, who is in Challenger League, and we have Hyper, mm -hmm. and Hyper was on that team too, who's on Dark Zero. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that team was talented. You know, I, I think if that team could have played in Challenger League, if there was no 18 plus rule or anything like that, that team probably would have made Pro League. You know, that team was tremendously talented, um, and it, it it just sucks. Uh, and it was funny as a quick little side note after that event dreamhack changed the rules to 18 plus <laughs> so, like there's oh. no siege events after that that were under 18 um which was funny that you know we were able to do that but you know at, you know after that we decided to just keep growing and build a roster um i think the roster after that was uh with remorse and spades and modiga you know and that excelled with gotcha and all that um but you know after that fast forward um i to last year about a year and a half ago um i decided to step down as ceo of disrupt um and sell out and leave um because of personal reasons happening in my life uh i, I was finishing high school um at a torn patellar tendon i was caring for my father who has you know disease um so it, it was not i was not able to give this company that i built and put my heart into 24 7 that it deserved so i thought that that would be best um to step back um yeah that's that's completely understandable yeah, yeah it's, it, uh, for all the reasons to back away and not be like incredibly just into your own stuff like that yeah. is all the all the human reasons anyone could yeah. understand like kudos to you i mean you were you were just getting out of high school yeah i, I was finishing high school i come on 18. yeah <laughs> i i created when i was 17 and you know a lot of people ask me to like i i disrupt was the favorite thing i've ever done but it wasn't the most successful thing i've ever done um after disrupt i i did you know a lot of other things um that you know i've found more success in but it was probably the most fun i've had you know going to events um meeting people talking with people i love doing content you know it was so fun and stressful too like one month i was like we're gonna upload every day for 30 days on youtube it was hard to pull off but we did it in that month i think we gained like fifteen thousand subscribers oh yeah and yeah and it, it, it it was hard but it was fun um you know that stuff is fun so fast forward to where i'm at now i i was friends with uh baka who is now for now plays for uh team oblivion and cacl um and he before that played for asu's team and they went to dreamhack they you know they played you know they were quite successful one of the top teams in collegiate and i saw that face it was announced a thirty thousand dollar prize pool collegiately you know they showed interest in wanting to grow the collegiate side of rainbow six and i was like well you know i haven't played comp in a while you know i might as well get back into it um i contacted you know brian um and asked him and he was like no i'm not gonna do it i don't have time because it's challenge league um and he put me in the direction of zirfon who was the head of the rainbow six department and former member of the team um and we got to talking i got talking with jake the president of the asu club uh, asu esport club uh, and from there i went 
and you know, I start talking to them and saying, "Hey, I'll help you guys in any way I can." You know, I have contacts from you know my previous um, time at Disrupt and you know esports and things I've done to help you guys grow your club and help sponsors or help any way I possibly can. Um, but I also want to play Siege. You know, it's something that since the beginning I just love competing um, and I love Siege, and I wanted to be able to do that. So I became captain of the team. Um, and you know, now we're here. I'm, I'm <laughs> assuming I, that means you're good at the game. Uh, I'm all right at the game. <laughs> um, I, I am, I, before that, so right after about four months after I was done with disrupt, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Janon, who was pro for about four or five seasons. Um, he and me, we, you know, we were creating a team together. Um, we had a couple other pros on our team. Um, X-Pros, uh, Sour, and uh, Senses. And then we had, you know, another guy who wasn't pro, um, who was just coming up a young gunner. Um, and we were going to go for Challenge League, and I think we could have made Challenge League. Um, but for the reasons I left Disrupt, I, you know, had to leave that team because uh, I couldn't fully commit to the time restrictions. It's tough, you know, during mm -hmm. that time. to oh, yeah. Having a team going for Challenge League, there's constant scrim, uh, scrimming and things like that that you have to do. You're um, pretty yeah. much pro, like, yeah, it, and, it, and even then you have to work you even to work harder. So long. Yeah, you have to work harder because you, you know, they're there and they're getting paid to, you know, be in their team house and scrim and, you know, play the game, and you're not getting paid to do that, <laughs> and you still have to like put in the time to get better. Um, you know, so it's just a hard thing to do. Yeah, you know, like out of all the things you've done, which are amazing things for how old you are, I think the most incredible thing that you've accomplished was the fact that you managed to not just convince one but multiple people to give a 16 17 year old kid a bunch of money to start oh, yeah. a company. I, I tell people <laughs> you know? that they're like i get asked all the time when i tell that story they're like how did you convince and i and i tell them like how much i raised and like how did you do that like how did you convince like grown adults you must like, have one hell of a pitch yeah my investors were both 35 uh, 35 at the time the two That's of them funny. um and, and they're like how how did you do that and i was like honestly i think it's because i just believed in myself so much i tell people all the time you just gotta believe in yourself and i and that resonates with people if they see <coughs> you know you fully believe in yourself and believe in what you're doing and you know, that goes to someone else yeah confidence you know, they can see that yeah and, and i honestly to this day i'm like i don't know how i did it um <laughs> But yeah, and then a little after that, so I, I so around the ASU collegiate time when I saw that, I became captain of the team. Tryouts weren't for a couple months, so then I saw CACL were doing qualifications. So I built a team um, with four people that were previously in Challenger League um, for the CACL quals. Uh, grinded for that, you know. I so the past couple months I've been just scrimming tier one nal pro league teams and uscl teams um every day um some days twice a day um and we're grinding for that get ready for that <laughs> going to going into our and this goes into our match last week against um cu boulder um i that day i had two different scrims that i did prior to our match so i, I was really tired going into that match and our team, we never dry ran and we never played together. I played with two of them before in my life. You know, the other two I've never talked to. 
So, you know, I, I, I missed tryouts. Like, I, I was watching the VODs, and, you know, I helped Zerfon. You know, we made the decision together. I was watching VODs, doing all that. Um, but I couldn't physically be there because, you know, my other team obligation at the time. Um, but, you know, going to that, it was kind of hard because, A, I'm tired, and I'm supposed to be IGLing this team. Um, sorry, that was my timer. Um, <laughs> and then, B, you know, we have never played together. And, you know, people on the roster didn't really play together that much. Yeah, you had, so it, what, it was, three people new to the roster? Yeah, three people new to the roster, including me. Um, and, and it in the team dynamic, so from the previous year with the two people that are, were returning this year, that team's play style was way different from our play style. It was different meta. So it's just, it was very hard. And it took us a couple rounds to find our footing. Um, but, you know, it we made mistakes but you know going to our next match we're taking a lot more serious and we're dry running a lot more we're you know scrimming a lot more and we could go into breaking down that match too yeah um, let's let's go ahead and do that but i, I do yeah. want to like we'll hear we're going to hear a message from the other team captain from sue boulder so let me play that real quick name is Olvin. I am the uh, captain for the CU Boulder Black team. I was just asked to give some insight to the uh, ASU game that happened in the first week of CEA invite. And I mean, all things considered, I think both teams played really well for the situation that was at hand. Um, both teams had uh, roster changes going on. I think ASU had three and we had two of our own in uh, Heckle and Milk. And uh, Milk is even our new IGL, so I mean, that's even more of a change, I guess. Um, but I don't think, I think because of that, uh, neither team really had the proper time that we wanted to prepare. Um, I mean, especially getting matched up against each other. I mean, we're not, you know, neither of us are easy teams. But um, I'm still proud of the way we played. And I, I know that we can, we can learn from this game and all of our games going forward that uh, we can do some great things and, and get some wins under our belt. So as Olvin said, like they had a new IGL and one new member, so their roster only changed up two spots. But losing and gaining a new IGL, that's a big shift, as yeah. I'm sure your team can speak towards, as you had three new people, including yourself, as the IGL. But to end the match in a tie, a 1-1 tie, against CU Boulder, like CU Boulder is not a, a slouch of a team by any means, no. and replacing two members of their team is it is a bit of a setback. But you still have to rely on everyone's in-game knowledge, and you still have three people who are used to working together. And ASU, you have you've proved that your team also has similar, if not the same, level of in-game knowledge. And we're just at a point of both teams getting used to their new rosters. So. I mean, you heard what Olvin said. What do you think about the matchup and how that went? Uh, yeah, I mean, that team is very talented. You know, going into that matchup, um, you know, I, I didn't follow uh, Collegiate as much, but, you know, from Zerfon and other people in Collegiate, uh, that team's core, you know, the three of them, have been together for a while. You know, I, I heard it's something like one or two years. Um, you know, and they're tremendously talented, and I think they – for having two members, you couldn't really tell because they worked very well together. Um, they, you know, had great strats and they were a great team. I think they're, you know, the more that they play together and the more the season goes on, I think they're going to be very tremendous. I think they're going to be a top team up there. 
Um, and for that match, you know, they're very good at exploiting weaknesses. Um, and we went, uh, first map was Villa, and I think we started off 03. You know, I, we were down, you know, three rounds off the bat. And I, I was trying to IGL and, you know, give out some defensive strats, and it, it's very hard on the fly, you know, trying to micromanage and put everyone in different positions if they've never seen it or never done it before. Um, and then, you know, after that third round, I was kind of like, I can't really do that, you know. Let's just do default, you know, stuff that everyone kind of knows, and maybe I'll just IGL and pull out some stuff and tell people to rotate. Um, because the way that I had it, I was like, we're not going to win like this. You know, yeah. this team is too organized, and we don't really know what we're doing yet. We don't have our <laughs> footing. We, You know, we've never played together. Um, so what we could do is, you know, do default stuff and kind of rely on communication. Um, in my opinion, in Siege, if you have great communication, your team, you know, will excel in the long run. Um, so oh, yeah. that's what we went to rely on, and we kind of pivoted and went to that. Um, and then we started gaining some rounds back. Um, and that that team is very, you know, amazing with their strats, um, especially on defense, what they do and their holds. Um, and, and you can tell they have good communication. Uh, and, but what we really relied on and helped us get advantage was more of uh, teamwork on attack and gun skill. Uh, mainly, we, you know, we had to rely on that because we didn't have anything else to fall back on. You know, we were in a tough position with not having enough prep time together or anything going into that match where we can't really rely on strats or, you know, positioning, you know, key fundamentals. And as a IGL, you got to feel good about that outcome. I mean, you guys were able to switch your strategy mid-game, go back to yeah. fundamental gameplay, and then your team was able to trust you on that call. You were able yeah. to get them. They understood their role. They they named you IGL. They were willing to listen to you, even though they hadn't played with you, even though they had two new members who yeah, everyone's chemistry hadn't really been figured out. You were able to figure that out after just a few rounds. Your team was able to follow through, and yeah. you were able to follow through on foundational aspects of rainbow six like that's got to be a good way to open the league i'm sure a w would have been better of course but like olvin yeah. said it was unfortunate that you your two teams had to be matched up at first because two strong teams out the gate who yeah. have proven themselves season after season even with roster changes whatever you've maintained you i found that even some roster changes unless you're changing the core of it like four p or four people all at once you can still retain a bit of that momentum or some of that history that you had from the previous season, which I'm seeing from both CU Boulder and ASU just from this one match and how you matched up so closely. So I, I'm excited to hear about the prospects coming from each team. Yeah, and I, like you said, I, I was tremendously, you know, happy for how we did, you know, with the prep time and being able to have, you know, there's a lot to work with with my teammates just being able to trust, you know, in a call. You know, if I call something that they've never even seen before and they're, they trust me into trying it, you know, and then it works out, you yeah. know. Um, and and we had a lot of chances to win that, win both matchups, you know, and get a win or, you know, a partial win. Uh, you know, map one, we got up 6-4. You know, we went 4-2 on our attacks on Villa. And I think if that game went to overtime, the first map, 
I think we would have won uh, with our momentum. But, you know, going uh, 6-6 and drawing, I, I think, you know, I think we did very well. We got up 6-4 and we just couldn't close out. You know, there's a few rounds there that we could have closed out and I think it went to a 1v1 or something and we just couldn't finish. Um, but, you know, I've, I'm really happy, especially with that map one showing, you know, Villa's one of those maps too that are very strat heavy. You know, both the maps we played, uh, Clubhouse and Villa are more of a strat heavy map. It's not like we're playing a coastline or a consulate that relies more on frags. Um, so I was happy and, you know, what there kind of, you know, the better outcome could have been winning, but that was still a great outcome in my books. And I, in my books, I think, you know, that's a win, you know, being yeah. able to draw against a team like that. And something that we saw in the pro league, specifically from the teams who had just qualified into the pro league, uh, Syntax and I had noticed this uh, several times last season where the teams who qualified into the pro league, they usually started the season really strong until the other teams got more footage, more experience, and more matches on, against them. And those heavy, aggressive running gunners, like really aggressive gunplay teams, they ran out of mustard like at the mm -hmm. end, near the end of the season they couldn't keep up so i i have to take that as a positive bit for your team in that you didn't just revert back to relying on the gun skills like you went back to it as part of that foundation play but you didn't let the gun skill overlap or overtake your foundation map strats you're as on defense and attack like you just didn't go back to like okay now we're playing cod uh, and just yeah. go 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 uh, so, I mean, that's that's also a great thing to take away. Was there any other bits that you feel like your team took away from that match? And what was the the post-match kind of feeling afterwards? Yeah, I mean, when we are done with that, we were all happy, you know? We were happy that in such short time we were able to draw against a team like Boulder that, you know, you have a, they have three core. And they yes, they got two new members and a new IGL, but that core is something that we don't have really you know we have two members and having two members from a previous team isn't really the same as having three in my opinion um because it's easier in my opinion I, from my cop experience it's easier to put one guy into a roster or two guys in a roster than having three because basically it's a new roster at that point yeah, it's the majority yeah it's a majority that's why that's why three fists is kind of the rule there um for <laughs> face it you know for roster changes um so it it's something that we're very excited for this season because having that tough matchup and i think our next matchup is another tough matchup but having that tough matchup week one and being able to draw both maps just shows sky's the limit of what we could do especially with time um you know for the rest of this season and going into face it uh preseason and regular season uh, in january yeah, that match really did definitely gauge your guys' potential. Um, especially, yeah, like you said, you know, playing against Boulder, who's a really good team. You know, I've played, I mean, when I was still playing for AM back in the day, you know, we played Olven's team a couple times. So he's been playing for a while, um, mm -hmm. him and his guys. And they're, they're, they're a really good team. And we scrimmed against them a bunch of times. So the fact that you guys were able to go and, and, and tie against them with, um, three whole new players is, is pretty good yeah and, and so, like i said there's nothing but upside from here on just gotta put the commitment in and we'll be good now i mean obviously you have 
a lot of experience around esports. How how do you feel like your experience is going to be able to benefit not just not just your Rainbow Six squad, but like ASU in general? Because uh, I mean, you rarely hear about someone going pro to college. Like I th- there was a Philadelphia Fusion player who now is like a coach at one of the colleges out east. I forget. I think Maryville. I don't remember, but like you rarely hear about pros going back to college unless they're like really old, uh, really young and yeah but you usually not from the organizational side usually they were a competitor and here you are like former ceo coming back to college and going to asu which honestly until this last year they were not big proponents of their esports club despite being like the largest online community in the country yeah. for a college so like it wasn't exactly friendly territory for to be going in there so i'm curious what the reception was like and how you feel like you're going to benefit uh asu and how they're going to benefit from you yeah so i'm about to turn 20 um and when i was finishing high school i wasn't really planning on going to college right um but before esports because i i just wanted to just do business and disrupt and continue to grow that but you know things change you know uh in life um can't foresee it all um but one thing i've that's always been constant since i was younger was i want to be a doctor um so that's part of the reason i wanted to go to asu um you know my degrees in medical studies with md slash do it's a great program that asu offers i don't know how many schools actually offer it one thing that's cool about it is the mcat training um they offer you know ten thousand dollars worth of training basically you know people pay for from private tutors and such i'm preparing for them can they you know that's free and there's a whole bunch of other advantages um and that's one thing that drew me to asu um and so going there and seeing that you know and i learned more and more about the esports side of it and i you know i learned that you know asu is not really you know sponsoring them as much and you know up until you know recently and not really diving into it and i hear i'm like that doesn't make sense like it's the largest club on campus like asu esports is the largest club on campus and you know you look at grand canyon university where they have full funding you know they have facilities they have a whole bunch of you know just the entire university is backing them so much and i'm like that's just nuts to me i'm like asu needs to hop on the train (laughs) of this because i'm like why would you not esports is the future you know there's so many you know you have nba teams now that are owning uh franchises for the 2k league you know you have so many people getting into this you know you have so many different billionaire executives you know getting got into esports recently you know last couple years you want to know why a lot of colleges aren't aren't back in their esports programs? Because they don't believe in it. It's because it's because the people that run the colleges are the people who refuse to believe that the one thing that they have taught their kids to try and hate is actually oh, becoming yeah. a, a a viable business. Yeah, and they just they just ref- they're in denial. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. yeah, they yeah. There's a lot of you know the older generation that doesn't you know believe in this technology stuff and the way that's going because you know 10 years ago when people talked about gaming you know it was the stereotype was you know a fat kid in his mom's basement not doing anything like that you know that was a stereotype and yep. it's, then you, it's crazy because you look at a lot of these esports athletes you know they go to the gym a lot you know they are healthy and they're you know active and you have streaming which is a new mainstream thing you have you know professionals you know athletes and uh, you know 
football or baseball or NBA that are playing with these, you know, esports athletes and you know making it more mainstream. And, and then you have huge companies getting into it now. You even have freaking sports psychologists now getting into yeah. esports. You know, getting attached to teams and getting paid by organizations to be their team psychologists. At, yep. at ASU, we have a uh, sports psychologist um, for yeah. our, for our club, um, and he, and he helps us a lot with our um, Rainbow Six team as well. And that's something that I'm grateful for as well. And I think that's something that's very cool. You know, and, I think that's something and, that can very help people. Exactly, and I mean a lot. There's other cases of f faculty like that helping out the esports club, but not because of any association of the club to like the sports department, athletics department, or anything like that. It's because that faculty member actually believes, which is the yeah. insane bit. And like, there's so many cases of an individual faculty being the sponsor and putting up their own personal time to be the club coordinator to act as that facilitator between the club and the campus and making sure that none of the campus laws or bylaws are being broken and make sure all the student body laws are also being adhered to and making sure that there's guidance for the students that there's a safety net for the decisions that they're making essentially but like once colleges really start getting into it and start seeing the seeing the the relationship between how their athletics departments can actually benefit their esports departments and any of those schools that had started a program who started investing in their program are seeing crazy return right now when there's when there's tons of teams and sports that are being canceled because of covid mm -hmm. and everything like out east there is a college that canceled 10 different teams there's men and women's like swimming and lacrosse and like oh not your most popular sports by any means not the ones that make colleges a whole bunch of money excuse me um but you're still canceling all of those all those athletics and i don't know if they got to keep their scholarships or anything but all that funding it's it's hard and it's rare to hear of but some colleges have actually taken money that were that was earmarked for those teams and shuffled it over to their esports teams St. Clair just uh, St. Clair College of Canada just announced their like fifteen thousand square foot dedicated esports arena and facility mm -hmm. that is more than just come sit here and play games. It is legit for professional for collegiate esport development. ASU could yeah. easily afford something like that. They are a oh, premier yeah. competitive school in the states. The fact yeah. that they're lagging this far behind as a Division one school still shocks me. Yeah, I, I mean, in, in the next three to five years, you'll start seeing mainstream most colleges, I think, in the U.S. and Canada, uh, adapt esports and invest into it. And you know, they're they're going to have to go deep into it too, because what's going to stop? What's going to make someone want to go to your college instead of try to go pro? Because you know, it's not like other sports where you can just go pro. You know, I'm not going. I'm not going from high school to the NBA anymore. I'm not going NFL to, you know, uh, college. You know, you have to, is a main thing that you have to do now to get into the professional uh, world. Esports isn't like that, so you know they're going to have to offer you know development stuff, um, full ride scholarships, and actually dive money into it, and uh, actually allow them to you know compete, you know, and earn money. And another thing that comes with that is game developers need to put money into collegiate, so there's bigger prize pools, so these people want to compete in collegiate and invest time versus you know going and just trying to find a team on the internet and grow and compete and i think it's better 
personally for collegiate and esports growth for collegiate to be big because it will start forming more solid teams and you won't have as much of you know the current gaming you know trend where you know there's roster changes all the time right. can't really have that in collegiate you know you have a you know stick a couple people and you know off season you know tryouts you have more people come in people leaving and that's more of uh, something that i think will help you know professionalize and grow the esports industry as a whole um because it that it, people have to remember too uh a lot of people in gaming are a lot younger and so there's a lot of immaturity that comes with that and there's organizations out there that are very immature and that's why you see organizations scam or do certain things because they're they don't have a business background or they don't have you know different things that where they would they have been taught not to do certain things or act a certain way so you know those mistakes happen so having a strong collegiate and having more you know people that are involved in business and for a long time get a part of esports it'll start growing the industry um and esports is in a bubble people have been saying that for years um one of my uh friends chris cheney who was um creator of infinite esports um who owned optic gaming and obey uh you know he he always talks about it and you know he has great great things and plans for esports and what he sees um you know he's uh, have uh, ventures coming soon um <laughs> but you know it's one of those things that you know there's so much you could do with gaming you know you could have you know hubs you know where random kids could come and learn from professionals um you know they could learn how to play you know there's so many mainstream things you could do to make it more accessible and have more people do it and it's something where you know right now people think the esports lifespan is like you turn 24 25 you're done you know you know they're like oh you can't play anymore and that could easily that could easily like one that's a lie two like talent talent can trump age by any means but well you're not in your prime right and then by by the time like if collegiate and even as prof- professional leagues are catching up to this and having a lot of sports therapy, recovery therapy, all that kind of stuff, as that starts getting to be more understood of what it takes to have a competitive program, you're going to see that age increase. I bet you yeah, start you seeing professionals in their 30s easily uh, in the next five, six years. Like you are, I believe. Um, What's his name? Old, old Man Fear on EG, or he was on EG's Dota team. I think he was already over 30, and he was competing. Yeah, he, he was coaching, last I remember, but when he was competing, I believe he was already like 32, and that was a few years ago. So mm-hmm. it's possible to be there. I think we're going to see more people at that age coming in. Was, now, Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get back to Rainbow Six for now, but I'm going to yeah. be talking to you more about other things going on in esports but yeah. thinking about collegiate rainbow six not cr6 but collegiate as in general you mentioned that you heard face it was coming through with their rainbow six league and mm-hmm. that that piqued your interest I'm, I'm curious what else was it other than like a prize pool and opportunity to play on a team that made you want to really consider your time for the face it league in addition to the cea league that you're playing in so it showed like to me it showed rainbow six is really trying to grow their esports more and more and that's Mm -hmm. something that made me fall in love with rainbow six is 
I don't know if people played in year one, but if you played in year one, you know what I'm talking about. The game was so broken and bugs, like worse than it is now. Like people yeah. can play now. I'm like, it's not, mm -hmm. it's not even close to as bad. But Ubisoft stayed with it and kept putting more money into it. They've always stayed true. And I've never seen a game developer really do that. Normally, if the game's like so broken, not many people are playing it, numbers are low, they're giving up. They're not investing more money to make it work. And right. so to see that they dropped ESL and then they went after Face It, which is a huge organizer, um, you know, and CSGO and other uh, esports titles, to then, you know, create collegiate, you can see the money. You know, they're trying to put money into, they're trying to grow and help esports. So I saw Face It announce a collegiate and I'm like, this is something cool. This is going to turn into something that's going to be mainstream and I just want to be a part of it, you know? And, you know, I had my, you know, my connections with Brian um, before, you know, who you play on the old ASU team and I wanted to get involved. I wanted to be a part of something, you know, the price pool was cool. And I think the thing that made me excited about the price pool was this is going to draw people in that are going to college that didn't care about collegiate before because, before it was more of oh is you know not as good of players or you know if there are good players like there's no point you can't really compete um to you know i have personal friends now that are playing collegiate now you know they you know they see that and that's what i think their idea behind it was is if we put a prize pool you know this is true with any well, sport if you put a prize pool people will come well yeah i mean ten thousand dollars to a college student is like <laughs> yeah the world you know, especially the kids that are, are going to school off their own dime, you know, they're paying their way through school. That $10,000 is going to be real nice or the to the well, the 2000, you know, because it's split up yeah. $2,000, you know, that could that's potentially an entire semester's worth of tuition. So, yeah, and that's um, just one league. I like there's so know. many more. It is really cool. And and that's really cool that Cleese is doing that. Like you said, it's like it's, it is actually life changing, you know. That could help someone pay bills one month or do something, you know, tremendous that really helped them. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll use a, a champion from Heroes of the Dorm from ASU, Michael Udall. Like, he is legit living it up as a content creator. And now he's coaching a revival uh, professional, oh, air quotes, but professional Heroes of the Storm league that's, started, that's like a self-startup. But now he's coaching that, but he aim to go pro and dota he ground that into the into the dirt and like tr showed that he could transition sports showed that he could be a valuable uh, uh esports advocate and i mean he he changed his life because he won heroes of the dorm i believe that was like mm -hmm. 2016 um but he won heroes of the dorm there and you could easily do the same thing depending on how face it broadcasts and really sells uh itself with this league i mean here's of the dorm was shown on espn uh like the final four team matches were shown uh on espn2 they had in in person lan events for those matches and like they were they were a destination to go to if face it treats it very much the same way which it looks like i'm i'm projecting i'm guessing that their grand finals for face it because it's tbd at the moment is going to line up with a, an actual r6 pro league major so putting collegiate yeah. on the same stage as a major is a huge development a huge step to say we actually want our collegiate league to blow up exactly i mean and something you see from that like you said with espn you know this could be 
something from Ubisoft saying, hey, this is a way that we can get it in and maybe have a partnership deal with ESPN, kind of like how you know Overwatch League had exactly. or has still. Um, and, and this is something that briefly, you know, connects the two because, you know, they love college stuff, you know, ESPN. And they're a huge network, and, you know, that's something that could help grow the scene even more. So Collegiate is something that I think is just tremendous because there's so many things that could help grow esports as a whole. You know, yeah. nothing but positive things. I, I honestly, I could be wrong, but I don't think see anything really negative with having Collegiate or promoting it or putting more into it. And I think just this first generation is on a, I think price pool is probably going to double, you know, next time around. And, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of new expansions. Yep. And I, I, this first I heard about the uh, Pro League thing, but I'm pretty sure that's something that they, they could probably do. And I think that will be huge for it as well and get more people involved. Yep. Exactly. And now my hope is that we don't have another Heroes of the Dorm event where it's like they do this big production for three years. And then when they cancel the Pro League, they cancel the collegiate event out of uh, they canceled Heroes of the Dorm, but they still have the Tespa League, and so there's not as much hype or anything around it. So I'm hoping that this professional collegiate league can sustain itself, because otherwise it just seems like a lot of like some Tespa gets some notoriety, but then it's mostly like the Riot collegiate stuff around League mm-hmm. of Legends seems to be the only other one that gets a lot of notoriety in the space. So I'm excited to hear about this. If as a as a team that's participating in it and as a former team owner uh, in the pro scene what are you looking for the league the face it league to really excel at or really cater to this community i think it's what it's going to do is sort of right now people are upset currently with ubisoft for the new season uh, the new season has the core of it what they're trying to do is amazing um but they the servers are bad there's a whole bunch of things that are bad um and people are frustrated and people are frustrated with face it for certain things i think this is something that is going to kind of ease the frustration and help people kind of get more passionate about siege and i think it's going to grow the casual player base and i think yeah. that's something that's really excited for it and i think that's something that face it's really trying to do is grow that casual player base and last time around um, they did the rankings. Rainbow Six Siege entered as a tier one esport, which is yeah. really cool. And I think it's just going to grow from there. And I, you know, you have these leagues that didn't really get as much notoriety, like CEA, but they're going to start to. You know, yep. this season they have, and I think next season they're going to continue to grow. And I think it's going to help the community as a whole. And it's going to help people that have invested a lot of time. And it's all going to be built on the backbone of Rainbow Six Siege and uh, Face It makes sense to me i see it i've seen it before i've seen it happen i i'm excited for it i love collegiate esports so i all, all the best wishes to ubisoft and face it to get it done uh i think that's pretty much it for the episode i mean we've already been talking for almost an hour can you believe it yeah, yeah, no. yeah it goes by so fast <laughs> Uh, so I, I'm going to rattle off some of the scores that I was able to track down for across the invite league. We've got a 2-0 win for Goose Geese. I have no idea what school that, that is. Uh, they won two 7-0 games on Villain Clubhouse against LMU. I'm not familiar with LMU. That's the other problem with these leagues. I can never tell all the acronyms. So 
I'll have to get used to these again. There, there, there's like over there's there's well over like thousands of schools in the United States, yeah. so there's we can't be expected at all. And, the, and there's going to be overlap and everything, but yeah. uh, I mean, two of the, two of the things that I'll call out. So we've got San Antonio and Texas Tech, uh, both two owing their opponents. Uh, what was that? That was something Tech University uh, Gold Team, uh, Arkansas. I think it was Arkansas. Uh, but then UTSA also two owed San Jose State University. So San Jose State, they've they've been around for a while. So I'm, but it's UTSA. I can't I can't argue yep. with that two O. Like because Texas, Texas is superior. I'll finish it for you. Texas is superior. <laughs> I can't argue that either. <laughs> uh, one of the one of my big surprises for the week was. Uh, UMBC, uh, University of. Mar- uh, it's something, isn't it? Like British Columbia or something? Yeah, isn't I, it? yeah. I want to say it's one of the British Columbia schools, but they too owed University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Now, no, university, it's, it's, it's not. It's University of Maryland, Baltimore County. We're wrong. What, gosh. <laughs> but uh, still, the fact that UNCCH lost 2-0 makes me want to dive into how the roster changed because they were a competitive team last season now mm-hmm. but they were they were they were on that cusp of kind of breaking into that upper like i'd say upper 20 teams where we were looking at where the fallout and stats really uh, came in so they were they were on the verge they were on the verge and i think that what probably happened is that either the meta caught up to them or the roster changed too much or some variance of the two but to lo- to have lost 7-0 on Clubhouse and 7-2 on Oregon tells me something wasn't working for them. And I, I'm, I'll have to reach out to them and see how things went. But uh, UM- UMBC also is surprising me because they weren't a competitive team from what I can remember. They were kind of middle of the pack, maybe lower middle of the pack last in the spring last year. So uh, see what has changed there it will be interesting to find out. Uh, Elon University... Two owed, what was it? SU Blue. I can't remember that. But Elon was one of our top teams. Elon was one of the top teams last season, and they seven owed on Villa and Oregon. So that was a quick match. So feel bad for SU Blue, but Elon is back. Elon was one of those teams that was like undefeated for five, six weeks, and then they dropped, and then they dropped, and then I think there was like a an upset somewhere along there and then they lost momentum from there and it was just uh, kind of upsetting for them for sure uh there we've got some a new team coming out strong against mizzou uh msu so msu surprised us last season they were um really a, a dark horse that came out like they they didn't have a team previously and this was their first league competing in cr6 i believe last year and they shocked me they they went deep into the playoffs and everything i'm like heck yeah msu or mizzou uh coming out but now davenport which i am not familiar with at all two owed them seven four clubhouse seven two coastline like that that's that's impressive to me and i it'll again be one of those teams that we'll have to dive into and uh, track down but we've got some really 
interesting things going on there. I know Akron played. Where was Akron? This was Akron White. I don't know if that's their top team. I don't believe it is because they tied uh, another university that the acronym just is MU. It could be one of so many different schools with MU as its initials, but the fact that they tied 7-2 to two coastline, they won, and then lost 7-2 uh, to two on Oregon. Maryville University, that's who it is. Um, yeah. But And Maryville, again, a competitive team in tradition in all of collegiate esports, a very competitive team. Last year, I think they were starting to creep up that middle-of-the-pack mentality. Previous years, they were out before they even got to playoffs. So Yeah, and they, I remember Maryville specifically. I, don't, I couldn't tell you why, but um, in the, the inaugural CR6 uh, league, we played against Maryville, and I think it was like one of our very first matches, and it was, it was pretty easy. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't mean to be rude to them or anything, but... Um, <laughs> You know they were, they you know they were a bunch of like high silvers, low golds, trying to figure out competitive, and I don't, that's that is perfectly fine. That is what yeah. Khalid is there for: is to introduce people to the competitive scene so they can get more experience within it. They have slowly been. Um, I don't know if it's been change of players, if they've kept the same players, but they've slowly been getting better and better, which shows that they're actually taking the time to to sit down and practice. So that's good on them. What? Uh what C. Jomo in chat, uh, Elon University, uh, Rainbow Six captain, uh, came out and said, SU Blue were good sports. And as he said in chat, very early in the season, but with the new CEA format, I think it'll be very interesting how it shakes out. And that's exactly the point. They've got new division breakdowns. They've got new scoring. They are going to be creating a whole different dynamic to what CEA was to last year. So I, I'm excited about that. And Maryville is is exactly that. And I mean, as I pointed out, Maryville is a very competitive esports school, hands down. Like, they are one of those dominant teams next to, like, Harrisburg University. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were able to invest more into their Rainbow Six roster this year. And now it's like, okay, we weren't competitive in this game. We want to be competitive in this game this year. So that's something I want to dive into and track down because that's that's an interesting place for um, Maryville to be in, knowing that they haven't been competitive in a in a specific game and see where they want to take that. So um, outside of that, I'm not sure what else there is to talk about. We can give. Uh, Tanner, a chance to shout out your teams, anything that you want to share, anything that uh, you want to say about ASU, by all means, the floor is yours. Where people can contact you, that would be a great one. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to the season. I'm looking forward to help growing uh, ASU Sports. They've already done a tremendous job. Um, I'm happy to just get in there. I am the secretary of the club. Um, next year, I'm going to be the vice president of the club when uh, Jake, our president, graduates. Um, nice. And I'm excited to continue to grow and within this club and be a part of it. And I think, you know, it's a step forward. You know, we have a center where we could have land events. And last uh, last season we had um, our old team, they practice, uh, you know, a little land center. They have nice PCs there. Um, and it sucks we can't get in there right now because of COVID. Uh, yep. But, you know, I'm looking forward to the future and I'm looking forward to helping this club grow and helping collegiate grow the best I can um, with any of my past knowledge, any way I could help people. Um, and 
you can find me at uh, at Sport Trick on Twitter. Um, feel free to you know hit me up if anyone ever has questions or needs help with anything, and I'm more than happy to help people. Um, so, you know, I try to help people all the time. I try to you know young people that I'm friends with that get into um, Rainbow Six or in esports and they make Challenger League or they do something where they sign a contract. I always try to help them and go over the contract with them. I've been, you know seen hundreds of contracts. Um, if I ever get stuck on something, I always, um, you know, my personal attorney, Justin Jacobson, who's almost done and about to publish his uh, esports uh, law book. Um, you know, I, you know, I shoot over to him and help, and I try to help people because, you know, it's all, it's never, um, it's never bad to ask for help. You know, if you don't understand stuff, and I always try to help people that don't understand certain stuff in esports. You know, um, I I highly respect yeah. that that you that you help your friends with their contracts and stuff because I feel like that's a really big thing. I feel like that really needs to be addressed in the esports community right now. Is a lot of these young players get uh, trapped in mm-hmm. these contracts because they don't know what they're looking at. They're like, yeah. oh hey, money to play video games? Yeah, sure. And they sign these contracts and they have no idea what they're getting their, themselves into. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're like, wait, where's all my money? It's like, oh, by the way, you know, we're taking 70% of your money, your winnings, you know? Yeah. Like, and then wait, you're wait. losing out because you, if you just yeah. did the winnings, you're making more than your your salary. One of my yeah. friends, funny story, he, you know, he thought he was stuck in a contract and everything like that. I looked at the contract. I'm like, dude, this contract would not even hold up in court. Like, it's not even like legally binded to anything. Like, I'm like, dude, you could just leave. <laughs> and he just left. I'm like, yeah, and I was like, if they try to press on you, like the judge would just throw this out. Like it would never even happen. Um, That's so probably way more are... common than we think, too. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is. I, I guarantee it. You know, some some contracts I've seen, I, I see some big orgs contract. Too. I'm like, dude, like they're like a three pager. I'm like, dude, we had a fuck. We had a sorry, I mean a curse. We no, had a fifty page. I, I caught myself. Uh, we we <laughs> had like a fifty pager contract. And in our contract too, we one thing I always did at Disrupt is we never took any winnings out of anything we've ever had. I, I don't believe in it. I think if you play, played and you won, you deserve all the money. We didn't contribute to that in any way. You're the ones that actually did the real work. Um, so we never took you know winnings from any team. But you know, and we did things to help people like retirement clauses. You know, we did things to help ensure that you know the players that, you know best success. And I think a lot of there's really good esports orgs out there that do that, and there's some that. It's all about the esports org and helping them out, and I think that's, you know, needs to kind of shift ties and kind of be more for the player. And I think esports will get that way eventually. I love it. What a great note to wrap up on, and a great PSA for people to check your contracts if you're getting these things. Get them looked at by someone by a professional, or contact Tanner on Twitter and he'll look over it for you. Uh, so help each other out, look, have each other's backs and all you students keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Uh, appreciate you all creating all this entertainment for us to talk about and for me to get excited about. So thanks everyone. That's the episode for the week. Uh, we will catch you same time next week, 8:30 PDT on Twitch, on Twitter slash Periscope and Facebook. If you know me personally and maybe LinkedIn, if they ever get me approved, we'll see how that goes but you can always reach out to me at warlock recall on twitter and pretty much all social media for that matter uh at syntax gg for my co-host he's got a great youtube channel helping people build their foundations which i need to be watching more of so we will have to get some gameplay sometime soon 
and show you just how terrible I am at this game, but how much I love losing at it. So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. I appreciate you, and we will catch you next week. Take it easy, everybody. Later. See ya.